Hey everybody, this is Doug Curtin, the host of Chalk Talk. Thanks for tuning in today. If this is your first episode, we welcome you, and we encourage you to go check out some of the other episodes that we've released regarding high school athletics, physical education, and strength and conditioning. Go to pltforum.com, that's platform.com. You'll find all of our podcasts there, as well as a lot of other content that we've come out with. This is a jam-packed show, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. This is Chalk Talk, presented by Platform. I'm Doug Curtin. Let's go. Uh, We have a special guest today in Brian Kite. For those of you that are listening, we also did a live taping of this. So we have Brian. Brian, give us a wave. Awesome. Um, It's a pleasure having Brian on with us today. We are going to be talking about uh, his specialty and what he breaks down with different folks all across the country in terms of culture, leadership, discipline. So Brian, before we jump in, uh, why don't you just go ahead and give yourself a little brief introduction to uh, the folks who don't know you, who which I think at this point is pretty far and a few between can just get to know, you know, what you do on a day to day basis. Yeah, well, uh, I appreciate it, Doug. And I, you know, one of the things I remind myself of every morning I wake up is that um, almost everybody in the world has no idea who I am. So <laughs> it, uh, it's a it's a it's a great way for me to remember that uh, that what I'm doing is just contributing, and it has nothing to do with uh, with however few people actually do know who I am. Uh, there will sure. always be a lot more who don't. So uh, my name is Brian Kite. I um, I'm the founder of DailyDiscipline.com. And I've been teaching leadership, culture, and behavior for 15 years. For the first 15 years, really, 14, 15 years of my career, work with my dad, Tim Kite, uh, at a company called Focus 3. And uh, it was a company he founded. Uh, he and I eventually ran that together, and I ran it as CEO for the last um, seven or eight years. Recently just uh, left Focus 3 uh, to, to come over and put my full efforts behind daily discipline and a couple other things that I'm doing. And, and really what it's about, Doug, is, is helping people build the discipline they need to get what they want. I mean, I mean, that is, when, when you take a step back, and I, I really try to simplify this, I, I'm not, and I say this all the time whenever I get in front of athletes, especially, is my only mission is to help people build the discipline that they need to get what it is that they want. Right. I'm not in the business of telling people what to want. And so for that reason, whether it's high school or college or pro athletes or coaching staffs, whether it's a, an, an entrepreneur, uh, a small business, a large business, helping people, well, well, the things that they want require the discipline to get. Sure. And I just want to make sure that they have those skills because uh, when you look at, discipline maybe we could talk about this later when you look at discipline it's really the one thing that unlocks everything else with discipline it's all possible without it even great strategies and good intentions they're they're just destined to fail so that's ultimately what my mission is and then i just want to attach that discipline to the things that make a difference in the environment that i'm working whether that be sports business uh, education for sure and i think that's a great place in terms of of what I think we all try to talk about and, and the folks that tune in to, to Chalk Talk or anything else is 
we have, we work with a, a group of people that, that want something. They want to be great at their sport or they want to achieve success within the weight room. And sometimes as the coach or the leader of that group, um, we need to kind of help with the discipline side of things. We have to help guide that. So I think what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack sort of what that means in terms of the weight room. Um, there's a lot, obviously, to talk about there, but I'll sort of set the stage in that there are a lot of athletes and there's a lot of teams that say, you know, we want something to be different. And when you talk about what we want, we want success. And that success comes in maybe championships or being proud of the product that they put onto a field or whatever it may be. And so they look at the weight room and they look at kind of a dedicated strength and conditioning program as a means of getting it. But as we know, the weight room is not a, a glamorous place with the bright lights and everything else. It's a place where you kind of have to go um, and, and get to work. So in your experience and, and what you do in terms of unpacking those things, how do you kind of navigate those types of situations? Um, well, one, one, just as you're describing that, I, I, uh, I had this experience with an NFL team one time where they, they were the, the head coach of this NFL team wanted to invest into the culture of uh, discipline and invest into the, the team and leadership to, to help it get over the threshold of winning a playoff game. Sure. And the owner of the NFL team overruled because the owner put the money into redesigning the weight room and upgrading the weight room and did not invest at all in the leadership and the culture of the team. Hmm. And that team got bounced out of the playoffs again and then hasn't been back to the playoffs since. So it was just, I was just thinking like, you know, it's not just, you know, it's at the highest levels in, right. in athletics where they're doing the same thing. So, so look, the, when it comes to specifically, you know, a weight room and a culture, I think one of the big things that people, when you say the word culture, and I just got a message about this on Twitter recently, when you say the word culture, I don't, Doug, I don't think people really even know what to think anymore. Right. You say culture and there's, there's a thousand different opinions. And then if we bring it to something like the weight room, which I have a, a deep appreciation for, I was in my weight room, which is directly underneath me on the, the, the floor below me in my house where I've got a squat rack and deadlifts. And I was in the rack last night, squatting and deadlifting. And, and so, so, not only did I play college football and, and, you know, do all the things that you do college football wise in the weight room, you know, but the weight room is still important to me is I, I think with something like a weight room and then when you bring the word culture in, I think it's a good, it's a, I like the fact of putting those two things together because most people think the weight room is a place for concrete intense, you know, don't talk about it, be about it. And the weights don't lie, which right. is very real. And then culture, I think people consider on the opposite end. It's fuzzy, it's soft, it's feel good. It really doesn't belong in the weight room and blah, blah, blah. And I don't have, I, I, I have empathy for people who think that and I don't blame them and I'm not upset with that because if you listen to how culture gets talked about in most places, it is talked about like it's a soft, fuzzy, feel good, blah, blah, blah. I think most people absolutely abuse the word culture and they beat it to death as this make everybody feel good thing. The weight room doesn't feel good, but here's the point. The point is your culture is what determines how you do everything 
program, your school, on your team. It's everything. Right. So it's every every part. Everything. I was just having this conversation with a coach yesterday of a college lacrosse program. And we were, I, was, I was letting him know, listen, execution is the intersection of culture and strategy. And, and in this case, like how you execute in the weight room is the intersection of culture and strategy. So right. what's the strategy of how you want your weight room to operate? Like how are you lifting and what is that lift today? And how do you then interacting and teaming and doing all those different things. Okay, that's your strategy. Your culture is what determines how you're going to actually do that. Right. Whether you do it up to the standard or below the standard, with the intensity or without. Yeah. Cool. And, and so it's almost like in your eyes, the, the execution and the strategy should be sometimes considered almost not separate, but in its own entity before we even start to bring in those words of culture that gets like slammed over our heads like you were talking about. Yeah, well, and I look at it this way, I, I, you know, in terms of developing, you know, if we're looking at it as it exists versus developing it, there's two different ways to, to two different lenses we need to look through. If we're looking at it, just observing, we're not on a development path, we're just watching it. There is no separation between your strategy and your culture. There is no difference. Your strategy is your culture and your culture is your strategy. Yeah. Period. Like if I, if I come into a weight room of anybody listening and I watch you lift, I am watching your culture. I'm not just watching your programming for your weight room. I'm not just watching the routines or the outfit, the, you know, the gear you have. I'm not just watching the, I'm watching your culture. Now, if we're talking, if we're talking development, I'm agnostic as to where to start. You can start with strategy and then build the culture you need to make that strategy work. Or you could start with culture and decide on the standards and the culture that you want to come out, how you want to do your work. And then frankly, pick whatever strategy you think would maximize the, the reason you're doing all this work within the weight room. It, it doesn't, Doug, I don't really think it matters that much. Sure. Ultimately what's going to happen is this. Whatever, whatever path you go, you're going to have to change both of them over time. So you might as well pick one to start with that you feel really confident in mm-hmm. and then build everything from there. Because five years from now, you're going to make an adjustment. And eight years from now, you're going to make a big adjustment. Yeah. All parking in the time frames, right? Like it's going to be like, it's going to shift significantly. So yeah. pick one and start. Sure. And I want to kind of uh, flesh out what you just talked about when you said you go into a weight room and let's just pretend like you walked into any weight room and you're watching. Yes. And you talked about those things. What are you um, in, in your role as you're helping different coaches navigate things? Um, and for our listeners, what are you watching for? What are you looking at and, and kind of breaking down in your own head? Yeah. So there's three things. Uh, there's three things that, that come across three ways we can experience people. We can experience people through attitude. Well, let me switch it. You can feel something from people. You can see something from people and you can hear something, right? It's, if I go into a break room, there's only three things that I can get. Right. I can feel it, I can see it, or I can hear it, right? Yep. So that's where my mind immediately goes to. The first thing is, and this is hard, but it's very real. When you walk into a weight room, and there's people in there doing stuff, there's a feel in that room, isn't there? For, for sure. There's definitely. Feel, right? I think people can definitely speak to that. Yeah. yeah. We, were, we were talking beforehand. I'm not going to get you in trouble, right? But, but <laughs> you, you, you have a girlfriend, right? 
you're just like walking in the room and it feels different than other times. Like right. you're just like look at her and and like you see something on her face and there's a little bit of see, but like you kind of you feel like she's in a good mood or not in a great mood. For sure, you don't even have to you don't have to do hear or see quite yet. You can do the feeling. I think that it. that resonates. It's, look, we can't explain why and how we feel what we feel from other people sometimes. But at the end of the day, there's some people who just rub me the wrong way. I don't like the feel of them. And the same thing for you. It doesn't make them bad. It's just the feel doesn't feel great. Sure. Hold on one second. I got to shut my door. No worries. So when I walk into a room, I'm, I'm looking for, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm paying attention to the feel. And there's some things that affect that and, and, and other stuff. But also I'm looking at what I see. And then I'm looking at what I hear. So I, I try to open up my awareness to what am I feeling? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? And when it comes to feeling, it's, is there a feeling of urgency? Is there a feeling of intensity? Is there a feeling of focus? Mm-hmm. And again, this is difficult because the feeling is absolutely real, but it's very difficult to put your finger on exactly how it just, comes across and you know when you are in a weight room where the feeling is good it is obvious and when you right. are in a weight room when the feeling is bad it is also obvious so the next thing is okay well what do I see do I see people moving with a purpose do I see people um, uh, lounging between spots do I see them with body language that is delaying from station to station or do I see them moving with purpose do I see focus in the eyes of each person? Do I see them looking to maximize their time? Do I see guys that are like shaking and straining as they're doing their work? Like that's the stuff that you're looking for. Or do I see, you know, kind of sloppy effort or effort that is good as long as somebody else is watching. And then what do I hear? Right. Do I hear guys talking to each other, encouraging each other, challenging each other, calling each other out? What, or do I hear, conversations about random things and do I hear do I hear people you know complaining or hear them talking about what they got to do next or whatever it happens to be so I'm, I'm giving my attention to the feeling that comes across what I see and what I hear and fundamentally when you when you hear that it's not that different than what I do when I walk into an office it's the exact same thing I what do I I go on to, you know, I work, I grew up working in, in uh, hospitals in my career. Walk on a hospital floor, right? There's a feeling. Walk into an accounting office, there's a feeling. And you go into some accounting office, go into a, I work with college football programs. Walk into the, walk into the, the offices uh, and the buildings of a college football program and they feel different. Right. You know, I go out to, you go to Washington and you go to UCLA and you go to, to, uh, uh, Ohio State and you go to Maryland and you go to Texas and there's different feelings in different offices mm-hmm. and what's what you're feeling coming across is the culture what's what's the norm what's expected what and then the action you see and then the words that you hear and it all comes together sure and what makes that difficult is is you know just hearing that explanation for me right like a bunch of stuff and I think sometimes we get caught uh, we get caught wanting to make culture programmatic, right? We want it to operate like a, uh, a lift, right? You do this rep and then you do that and then you do this and then this is the product and this is what you get. And it doesn't work like that. It, yeah. It's, 
It is attitudes. It is mindsets. It is feelings. It is tones of voice. It is body language. It is expectations. It is beliefs. It's a, it's all this stuff. Yep. And I want to simplify it, but I can never make it paint by numbers programmatic. Right. And I think what's a, a cool way that you flesh it out is, especially when you're talking about focus and, and what you look for in focus and those things, especially in the weight room, is it's, it's easy to do when someone's watching you or you know there's a camera on because you're about to max out. But what about during warm up? What about during all of the different movements? What do you, how do you come together as a team? And like what I look for, what I love to see is like a team every single session, every single practice that breaks it down at the end, it doesn't just walk away and just right. doesn't go their separate ways and, and figure it out. And like, especially at the high school level, when there are so many people that are busy and kids running off to a million different things, and it comes from a coach too sometimes, is did you make it possible for a minute or two minutes at the end of practice to just come together, yeah. break it down, kind of flesh out? And to me, that's what I sometimes look for, are those little things, not in the max outs or the big time sets or anything like that. It's all the little parts kind of – woven between if you will yeah and right and that's that's part of the see and the here is are you are you seeing and this is a great way to think about it because this is how i think of leadership this is what i think leadership is are you seeing young men and young women taking responsibility for people other than themselves right and when, when you look at what the act of 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 getting a breakout is again I mean, it doesn't have, it's not a, it's not a it's not gonna change your life but what it is, is that could be that young woman saying, you know what, I've got six other, right, of my friends all working right. out. And it's not just about my attitude, it's about their attitude and mm -hmm. about where they are. And we need to be together and I need to unify us. So I'm going to grab them and pull them together and I'm going to give them some good thoughts and good energy and, and encouragement and accountability and come together with them. Cause it's not just me. Right. This is what I look for. A, 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 a producer or a player, they take responsibility for themselves. And we need that, right? In a weight room, right? A, a student takes responsibility in a class. They take responsibility for themselves. Yeah. A leader takes responsibility for more than themselves. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I look for that in a weight room. Who is taking responsibility for things other than themselves? Cleaning yeah. up, cleaning up a weight, re-racking a weight, you know, helping out with a spot, putting, you know, helping somebody change their plates when they're trying, you know, between there's like really focusing on how do I make this a great experience for everybody who's in this weight room right now. Right. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a, a good leading tell of a, a culture that's heading in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a great point. Cause I, I think about it all the time is like, we talk about, you know, um, kind of peer to peer coaching. You know, who kind of just lets somebody start to flounder when they're struggling or anything else or who comes running over? Hey, notice that you're having trouble with this. Let's talk about it and let me work with you before a coach could even identify it in a busy weight room or whatever it may be. Like to your point, that is just huge in terms of a culture building piece of let's look out for each other. Let's take care of each other. Let's make sure we're in this together. Yeah, and, and the, the, the culture application of that, how you know it's culture is this. I mean, obviously, if one person does it, it's not culture. It's a person. Right. Yeah. Right? If, if you have a couple people doing it, you still don't have culture. You've just got a couple good leaders. When you start to see multiples of people doing it, not everybody, because that'll never happen. 
uh, or, or rarely I've been asking coaches, you know, you know, one of the things coaches talk about a lot is, is player led teams, right? They really want player led teams and player led weight rooms. And, you know, it gets talked about so much. And I, and I ask coaches, how often do you have a, a real full player led team? How many have you had in your career? Mm-hmm. Those coaches who mm-hmm. coach for 20 years and they're like, maybe three. And I'm like, so you have a, a 20 years in and you've got three player led teams in 20 years. That's about every seven years. And yet you're having that expectation for every team every year. Yeah. The reality, the reality is most teams, particularly at a high school level, teams, activities in the weight room, et cetera, they're not going to be player led. Right. You're, right. you're not going to have this kind of culture that permeates to 50, even 50% of, of, right. the, of the people. Like it's high school. <laughs> it's high school. Like it's going to be a very small number of students, student For athletes sure. Sure. Who, who get this. We're trying to increase it, but we've got to be like very honest about what path that they're on. Yeah. So, so I look at this, I look at when you've got a, a couple, well, then you've got those leaders. Well, at least you're moving in the right direction. But when you start to have a bunch, okay, still not the majority, but a bunch, you've now got a culture starting to grow and develop. You've got the seeds of a really great culture. And there's three things to pay attention to. Number one is your culture is always social. This is what coaches and people who lead weight rooms, I think they, uh, 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 I'm about to use a George Bushism, misunderestimate. <laughs> Not an actual word, but it found its way into the, right? This is what they misunderstand and sure. underestimate, right? So they, they don't get and appreciate how social this is. Mm-hmm. They, they pass a directive down, an order, an expectation, right? Uh, uh, coaching. And then they expect people to follow it. Right. And then they, they don't understand that the social power among the students is 100 times stronger than whatever directive you're sending. So when you've got a handful of student athletes who are resisting your coaching or resisting the standard, they can be good, good. They're most of the time they're, they're, they're good kids, but they're just not really on board with what you're asking them to do. And if they have social power, they control the weight room, right? They control it. So, getting these skills and getting these standards into a handful of student athletes who have some social capacity to socially spread it through the weight room, through their attitude, through their action, through their words. That's how you start really transitioning the culture is get it into the social stream. And in the social stream, it's got to be cool. So here's the second two pieces. So first make it social. Second thing is you gotta, you gotta find ways to start helping the student athletes recognize the standards that are going on within the weight room that they need to be paying attention to. Cause that's what you were just mentioning. Sure. It's, it's one thing if a student gets it, but it's a whole other thing if they can watch the weight room and start recognizing it happening while it's going on. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a big difference. If I, if you and I were to go into a weight room, you and I might see on a particular day, all these different things going on within the weight room, but that's a problem if you and I see it, but the students don't. Right. And they don't know what it is. And they don't know what it is. Like, like I just, again, I was having this conversation with a coach. It, we're trying to train athletes culturally. You recognize what is good, what is not, what meets our standard, what doesn't, what is going in the wrong direction, what's going in the right direction. You've got to recognize that. 
mm-hmm. and there's a path to getting there and right and we've got to work him and we're we're mostly innately selfish and going back into our high school and previous years where we can get very kind of pulled into ourselves and so this is about turning our attention you know not only to our own standards but also out here right and looking at all right what are, what's everybody else doing and how are they doing it and is this needing it so that's recognition the second thing is a willingness to act on what you're recognizing because some some young men young women you know in a weight room environment they'll see somebody not doing something but that social dynamic kicks in well where they socially get it they can recognize it's not the standard but then the thought of saying something or acknowledging it or you know calling somebody out or going over and saying hey it looks like you're struggling with this the thought of doing that scary right especially if you're a sophomore or a freshman or a junior who's not playing a lot or, you know, again, pick all your different scenarios. For sure. And I think that one's the one that you see a lot of, Hey, I know this is something I should do, but I'm, I'm not ready to might maybe be empowered. And I think that's a lot of times where maybe a coach or someone else can help kind of flesh that out of them, help them kind of become their own or, or figure out like, once I see it, what do I do? Once I hear it, those things that we talked about, once I feel it, those three we talked about earlier, how do I become the person who does something about it? And and the the other way that comes out at every level, and by the way, this does not change uh, in college, in pros, and it does not change in the professional business environment either, is this. When you, let's say, let's say that they do say something. Let's say they're, they're like, hey, you know what? I am going to say something. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, you know, point this out or go help or, or push the standard or call this to a higher level. And then the person they do it for gets upset at them for it. And some tension gets created. And then they don't like that tension. And typically who's the first person to back down. Right. The person who's trying to step up and be the bigger person. That's typically the person who backs down because yeah. they, they're like, Oh, I don't want to know that person's upset or blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and Doug, check this out, ready? That doesn't just happen with high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, seniors. Yeah. That's exactly what teachers do in schools. Mm-hmm. I work with schools. And we build culture in schools with the staff. And I talk to the teachers and the coaches about improving the culture of the school. And there's a lot of teachers who complain a ton and they blame other people and they get very defensive if you try to show them how to be a better teacher. And I look at the positive teachers and the optimistic teachers, the teachers with great attitudes who don't complain, who talk to people, not about people. And I ask them, I say, Hey, why don't you call the other teachers out? Why don't you go bring your heart to these other teachers and say, look, like it's just not acceptable for you to complain. Like that is not our standard and you are bringing our culture down because you're talking about this other teacher and not directly to him or her. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh man, like you do that, like they get all upset and they get angry and, and they talk about you and blah, blah, blah. And I say, okay, so? Yeah. So? And, and, and it's almost like the idea of, okay, it, you're putting yourself out there and you're becoming the, 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 and I've seen it, I've seen some of your stuff where I, I, I take to it so much as if you stood with conviction and, and no one's ever going to all, excuse me. There's always going to be people that disagree with you. There's always going to be people that say, Oh, you know, Brian is over here ranting and raving about doing the right thing. Well, which people do you want 
on your side and which people do you want to see as, as the leader and, and doing the right thing. And maybe the people that are complaining about you aren't the people that you want to be associated with anyways. And it's exactly right. And so my, my, I mean, because let it brother, people get, there are people who get upset with me for telling people to stop complaining and start solving problems. Mm-hmm. Like they get mad at me for it. Okay. Like, <laughs> that's, that's fine. Like, look, if you want to be a complainer, then go complain and hang out with the other complainers. You guys can have your little complaining group of people who just lose and are victims of the world over here. I don't want to be around you. Yeah. And I, look, I, I go, I go talk to schools and I say that, like, I tell them, listen, if you were a teacher who wants to complain and blame other people and you want to have a negative mindset and attitude, go over here. Don't come around me. Don't be around me. I don't want to associate with you. I don't want to know you. If you come to a school and you bring that attitude as somebody who leads young people, you have chosen your path and I want nothing to do with you. Right. And it kind of, it really kind of looks at me like, they're like, Oh, how can you talk like that? It's this. You're, you're, if you work with kids, your calling is higher than that. How dare you come here and expect me to treat you really great if you're going to come here and bring a bunch of BS to leading young people. They need better than that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to treat you great if you choose to come here and bring a bunch of like really negative, nasty stuff to the kids. It ain't going to happen. Right. For you sure. kind of change your way into that. And if that makes you not like me, I, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And so, so I look at this, right? And so the point, the point of sharing that is not to make us about, about – you know, and by the way, it's not just teachers who do that. Coaches do that. Oh, yeah. you, could, that. you could put anywhere on that. You know, we're just, we're just talking about this environment. Mm-hmm. I share that for two reasons. Number one, adults struggle with this stuff, Doug. The adults who lead young people struggle with this stuff. Right. So a little bit of empathy on the part of adults, I think, would go a long way for looking at a 15-year-old trying to do this in a weight room. And this is what I'm pretty known for. I hold coaches to the same standard that they're trying to hold athletes to. Sure. And just say, look, if you're going to ask an athlete to do it, you better be damn good at it yourself. Yep. Or at least if you're not good at it, acknowledge it and work on it and put it all out there. So for a, for a, a young person in the weight room, number one is recognize how social this is. You've got to have your finger on the social thing. If you don't appreciate how much the social aspect of this drives everything, don't judge them for the social side. Understand how social dynamics work on teenagers and and help your culture be socially uh, good and cool. Number two is you got to train their awareness so that their radar is up and seeing what's going on. Number three is you got to train them how to act on it across the spectrum of when they're going to have to act on it. Act on it when nobody's paying attention. Act on it when uh, uh, they see it and somebody's ready for it. Act on it when you know it's going to be a little bit of tension and act on it when you know that it may be a, 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 a conflict or a, a fight, not a physical fight, but like a, sure. you're going to have to fight this person and through this because they're going to fight against you on it. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to have to act on that full spectrum. And whenever you see an athlete struggling with this, what I want adults listening to do is this. When you see an athlete struggling with this or when you see them starting this, what I want you to think about is I want you to think about how difficult that this is for you to do those three things in your professional environment, how social it is in your professional circles, how much your awareness is turned on in your professional circles, 
and how difficult and rare it is for you and your colleagues to act on it in your professional environment when you say something to a colleague or frankly to a boss or a superior and they get upset with you for calling to a higher standard yeah. and how quickly you back down because you're afraid of the consequences. And empathize and then take that understanding and that feeling and look at your, your high school age kid in the weight room and recognize they're going through their version of it that it's going to make you, it's going to make you a better coach. For sure. For sure. That's awesome. And I think that's a good quick stopping point. Um, we're going to take a quick break on this because I think that's a, an awesome kind of summary of, of a lot of the points that we've hit on in the first half of this episode. So uh, when we jump back in, we'll kind of break down a few other things. Sit tight. We have Brian Kite here with us. Uh, this is Chalk Talk presented by Platform. We'll be right back. All right, we're just taking a quick break. We have Brian Kite with us, and we want to give this opportunity for Brian to uh, let people know where to go. Where where should they go, Brian, to get more uh, Brian Kite, daily discipline, and all of those different things? Yeah, two places where you can find me. The first is at dailydiscipline.com. You can subscribe there with just your name and email address. It's free. I send out an, uh, an email message every morning at 6 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, helping people build the discipline they need to get what they want, uh, focused on the personal and the professional. And uh, yeah, so again, that, that's that's free. There's going to be a subscription service uh, coming out uh, sometime relatively soon, but the, the base and the core is free, comes out every day. About 30,000 readers right now, uh, every morning, which is super cool. Uh, cool. Just had a blast doing it. And the second place you can connect with me is anywhere on social at tbriankite, and that's K-I-G-H-T. Awesome. Great. All of that information that Brian just went over is in the description of the podcast. So go scroll down and check it out. You can also feel free to go to our website, which is also in the description. And that is plt4m.com. That's platform.com, plt4m.com. Lastly, if you have a favorite part to this podcast episode, tweet us at platform, plt4m, tweet us at platform to let us know what your favorite quote or moment of the podcast is. We would love to hear from you. And with that, let's jump back into the show. All right, everybody, we're jumping back in with Brian Kite. This has been an awesome episode talking about culture, talking about leadership, and and how we can interact with student athletes, not just in the weight room, but really in life in the way that, Brian, you talk about it, which I think is, is awesome. So, um, we kind of finished that last segment talking about identifying when, you know, maybe those athletes in the weight room aren't perfect or they might be struggling in terms of acting or, or being aware of their surroundings like you've been talking about. So I want to now kind of take a zoom in there and talk about how we then go and meet those students or those athletes, both as individuals and as a group so that they understand kind of maybe some, or maybe they have the tools rather to be able to try to make some adjustments or to kind of carry out that way of, of acting like we were talking in the first half. How do you encourage those conversations to happen at a school, both as an individual one-on-one and more so to the group itself? Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things that, one of the things that's true for human beings and hyper true for young human beings is that we thrive inside of structure and a system mm-hmm. and we, we really struggle outside of one uh, and that spans all of history 
And when I say a structure, I don't mean rigid, okay? And I don't mean step-by-step process, and I don't mean obedience, right? There's a difference. Structure is simply an organizing framework. And a system is how we want to organize and execute a lot of simple things to execute them in complex environments. So the first way I answer that is we want to provide structure and system for for the thoughts or not the thoughts but but way of thinking i should say yeah the way of thinking and there's a bit there's a difference right i don't want to tell people what to think but i do want to provide structure for thinking and then inside the structure you put what you want to put in there for for thinking and for decision making and for acting and so here's here's the simplest structure that that i teach to to you know kids, young people, adults alike. Event plus response equals outcome. E sure. plus R equals O. The, the, the reality of life is we don't control events. We do control our response. And we can create outcomes, but we can't control outcomes. Does that, does that last piece make sense to you about why we can create outcomes, but we can't control outcomes. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I come from a world of swimming and, and, and coaching swimming where you can control. We always talk about control what you have inside of your lane, you know, and, and we talk about that all the time and that, you know, you can control an outcome, but maybe not the overarching outcomes. And, it, and it's easy in that sense of, hey, what you put in as a product is going to be great and it might be awesome. But guess what? the girl next to you might've put in a lot of other different types of things and she might've just knocked it out of the park, but you controlled your outcome. Is, is that sort of what you're going with there? Yeah. And you know, and, and it's, you know, it's ultimately you control your thoughts, you control your decisions, you control your actions and you'll get the outcomes that you want when you are good enough. Mm-hmm. And that's just the simple truth of life. You, you get, you produce the outcomes that you want to produce when your response is good enough. And if you're not getting the outcomes that you want, guess what the reason for that is? Right. Those responses. We you gotta... just weren't good enough. Right. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause look, I ha- I've got this, right? Like I got this on my desk right now. That, that's where this DMGB, that's where it came from. Doesn't yeah. matter get better. Cause here's how I live. How I live is if there's any outcome in my life that I want that I'm not getting, the reason is because I'm not good enough or because I haven't tried. Right. The answer to that will always be, doesn't matter, get better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me less than. It doesn't lower my identity. It doesn't lower my worth and my value as a, as a person. It just means that I just wasn't, I didn't do what was required to create and produce the outcome that I want. Or I did what was required to produce the outcome, but it wasn't going the structure of equal cycle. So it wasn't good enough to beat this other person who just had better genetics than I had. Cause I'm, I'm five foot nine, right? Like right. I go swim and I'm a good swimmer. I grew up in California and lifeguards on that, but I go swim against the Michael Phelps. He and I could put the same amount of work in, but he's got better genetics than I do. Right. So, so I, of course I wasn't good enough. If the E I was competing against was Michael Phelps. Yeah. So it's funny. Or, it's or funny because you for that matter, <laughs> don't give me too much credit. That that's generous. Uh, it, it's funny because doesn't matter. Get better. Ours is in pursuit of better, and it's 
And that's our slogan because it's just like for us, especially working with high school students is that no, not everyone is going to be the next Michael Phelps, the next LeBron James, whoever you want to put on that pedestal. But where, where are you at in your life? Where are you at in your fitness, in your athletic journey, in your educational journey, just as a human being? And what can you do to get a little bit better? Just a little bit, because sometimes that's all we're asking. As coaches, as, as teachers, we just want to get a little better. So I love that. We, uh, we, we ended up pretty much in the same little slogan. We got to yeah. the last tagline of better. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I've seen, I've seen that there. So, so – you know, what are the tools? E plus R equals O. Event plus response equals outcome. Mm -hmm. and so here's how the tool works. Watch how simple this is. And yet watch how endlessly complex trying to do it, it, it you know, for any of us is. Mm -hmm. Number one, are you clear about the outcome you're trying to produce and the standard of it? What is the ultimate outcome? What do you want? What does it take to actually get that outcome? Yeah. What is the standard for it? Is, is just completing it an outcome or is completing it at a certain standard the outcome? Second, what's the reality of the event that you're dealing with and the events that you are likely to have to deal with or go through in order to create the outcome you're looking for? Mm -hmm. For example, let me just take this. I just put this up the other day on Twitter. I was talking to, I was, I was doing an event for the, uh, for UCLA women's basketball a, a few months back. And I was having a conversation about there's days you wake up and you don't feel like squatting. Oh yeah. I saw that. Okay. That's true for you. That's true for me. That's true for UCLA women's basketball. That's true for the adults listening and for the students. <laughs> there's days you wake up you don't feel like doing the very thing you need to do that day. Squatting is just a, you know, squatting is representative, okay? Yep. And if every day you woke up, you felt like squatting, well, then that's a great E, except that's nobody. Nobody feels like squatting every day. So the outcome is I need the value gained and the, the, the breakdown and buildup of what a squat gives to me. And I need it with a bunch of weight and I need to get stronger and I need to build both my, my mental muscles as well as my physical muscles. And I need that strength and that output. Well, one of the events you're going to have to deal with is if you want that outcome, you had better be prepared for the days where you don't feel like doing the things required to get that outcome. Yeah. Cause that's what happened to you. Right. Other times it's, you're going to, uh, you're going to step in and you're, it's not going to be whether you feel like it or not. It's going to be in the midst of the actual work in the weight room. You kind of lose interest and attention during the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's going to be other times where in the midst of it, you think that you can do a certain amount or certain stuff and you get all hyped because you, you were making gains. And then all of a sudden you step in and there's a lift you do that day and you drop back down you can't do what you did last week because for sure. whatever reason is it so so the first is knowing the outcome you want to produce and making sure your aiming point is clear the second is being ready and prepared to deal with the wide-ranging uh, events that are going to happen and an event is everything an event is how you feel an event is what's going on in the weight room maybe it's cold or hot that day maybe you've got mm -hmm. good gear not so good gear maybe you're 
maybe you don't have the right bar. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just all the little stuff that gets in our way. I mean, if you don't have the right shoes or shirt or whatever, maybe you forgot your socks that day, like just dumb stuff. Right. Right. Or maybe it's the person's attitude next to you. Maybe you got paired up with somebody who is kind of negative. Sure. So let me and, ask you, let me ask yeah. you this because I'm, I'm interested to hear what you, you think about it. And it's almost sort of where we said uh, we were going to start and, and then we, we unpacked a lot of it. And I think I want to come back to it is what about in all of that, because we know how hard it is now more than ever. And I saw you even asked, what are, what are teenagers better at now than they were 20, 50 years ago? I think one of the things that's harder for teenagers or for anybody is that like just kind of um, creeping opportunity for instant gratification in a lot of different ways. There's that, that creeping and we all know it, social media or kind of the easy way out. And like you've talked about, there's days where you just have to show up. There's days you have to do it when you don't feel like you want to do it. Do you think that's harder now? than it was before? Do you think that that is um, a larger task because of all of the distractions? Or do you think it's just different distractions at a different time in people's lives? I don't think it's harder. I do, the external world has obviously changed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, there's no debate on that. But no, I don't think it's harder. I just think the external world has shifted. Because, because look, it, uh, the reason I don't say it's harder is because we're the same people that we've always been. And whatever distractions exist on the external world, it's not like it's only distractions. It's also a bunch of good, good stuff. We're way smarter about our lists than we were 50 years ago. Like yeah. 50 years ago, we, they, we, people did some weird stuff. Now, we, people do also do weird stuff today. But <laughs> there's both, right? Like, so so it, it's, a, it's a both and. Um, so, no, I don't think it's more difficult. Um, yes, I do think that the distractions that exist today make it challenging, but they were complaining about distractions 40 years ago. You know, we've all, we've all, we've all, um, evolved, you know, mentally over these last 20 years of the internet era, we've all evolved mentally to the spot where we get the world that we're living in and with different levels of self-awareness people have of it. But look, we live in the era that we live in. You know, if, if, if you and I, if you and I were, were this age 50 years ago, mm. we obviously we wouldn't be on a podcast, but we would be sitting, you know, I don't know, on a front porch or a barber shop or at a bar somewhere. And we'd be having this conversation about yeah. whatever that we'd be having this talk, just not on a podcast, you know, on a, on a Zoom call. Sure. So about the things that we're dealing with then. So yeah. that is really important to understand then and and don't judge people for it um because again uh i would you know when you talk about instant gratification i I see a lot of people really hammering young people like 25 and under um and there's another i know 28 and under 30 and under something like that sure but particularly the college and high school teens ages, I mean, for instant gratification. And, and my point, Doug, is please point to me the adults that have solved instant gratification in their lives. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like don't, you, don't you dare come after teenagers for instant gratification. At least they have a reason. They're young and they, they haven't been there. 
What's the 40-year-old's issue who hasn't worked out in two years with any consistency and eats whatever food they want and doesn't wait for a web page to load and complains about not being in great shape but refuses to put in the work? Like, that's the person I'm looking at because you're right. 40. You want to know better. Right. I'm saying you got a mortgage, kids, job, right? Like, you know. Yeah. And yet you are caught in instant gratification. Right. And then you want to come back and judge a teenager for it? No, I'm not having that. Right. So, and, and you see all the warriors being like, oh, this kid doesn't get it. Well, that kid's in the weight room. That kid's working out. Like, and to me, like when I work with athletes, when I work with kids, it's like, you're here. There's a lot yeah. of people that aren't here, you know, and it's a, not, you know, it's not just a, hey, if you don't do sports, whatever, they might be dedicated to something else. It could be band, orchestra, math, debate club, whatever it is. But I think what gets lost into your great point is like, there are plenty of kids, plenty of, especially student athletes that are showing up. They're making the investment and they understand that like, Hey, there's a lot of instant gratification, but they're choosing the, I'm going to squat. Like you just talked about, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not going to see the return right away, but I'm going to keep doing it because I know that there's going to be an outcome like you just talked about that's down the road. It's not right in front of me. I can't just grab it right now, but I'm aware of what that outcome is and I want it. Correct. So absolutely right. And, and so no, no instant gratification is not an issue with young people more than it was 50, a hundred, 500, a thousand, 4,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Instant gratification for young humans has never been good ever. It's always for all of time been what young people have to learn so and by the way we don't really age out of this some people just learn and some people just don't some people mature into it some people don't every kid who is 13 years old right now by the time they are 50 from 13 to 50 guess what's going to happen to them Doug? they're going to mature right (laughs) this is what kids do like everybody's looking at 13 year olds they're like oh my god they're losing their minds and, and, you know, I'm 37. I watched people do this with Generation X in the 80s and then in the 90s. And then, and I watched, and it's like, guess what? Gen X eventually turned 40, had kids, got mortgages, and realized, oh, shoot, you mature and you grow out of young patterns. Right. And this is what Plato said about kids. And this is what they said about kids in, you know, in Germany in 1300 and in France in 1500. And, and we just keep doing this over and over again. And everybody's convinced. And now we just spread these things faster than ever before. And so I just don't have any fears of a 13-year-old by the time they're 40 and 50 because they're going to do the same path that everybody goes through and they're going to mature. Some right. will get it, some won't. And so I'm not going to judge them now or label them now as different. I'm going to invest in them. And this is the big thing that I want to make sure everybody hears from me. Young people do not need your judgment. They need leadership. Don't judge them. If you judge them, they're going to reject you. They're going to feel it. And young people don't have a ton of power. And so they're just going to sit, silently reject you, put that shield and lens up. And then you're not going to get what you want anyway. So stop if you're, if you're caught in this spot thinking they're different or pushing up, stop judging them and start leading them. Mm-hmm. You want them to come to a higher standard. 
And that's, that's like the biggest cultural thing that I go on right that I'm looking at right now with adults is there are way too many adults judging kids and not enough who are leading without judgment and trying to help them, you know, get better to, to the point of what we're both going after. And I don't think it's, by the way, I just want to make sure nobody misinterprets this. It's not like, a, it's not because adults are bad people or anybody who's doing this judging thing like makes you a bad person. I'm just saying it's not effective. Sure. Right? It's, it's not productive to come in and judge a teenager, you know, to come in and, 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 you know, millennials and Gen Z, you know, they're lazy and self, and they're entitled and instant gratification. Like you come in like that, like you've lost the room. Yeah. Like it's over. Right. It's done. I'm waiting. It's almost like I'm waiting on the edge of my seat. So what's the solution? And I, and to your point, I think the solution that might not always get presented in those scenarios is that leadership. How can we take the kids that are right on the cusp? They might be almost there. They see it. They feel it. They know they should do something. Let's get them over the edge. Let's help them and, and guide them to get over that cliff. So it, it's look and it's look. It's lead them with standards. It's it's it is provide them with systems and structure. It is you know E plus R equals O. And so you know go back right. It's it's target the outcomes, understand the events that you're going to deal with, and then teach and train them how to respond to create the outcomes they want given the events that they're in and focus not on uh, following authority through obedience, focus not on doing rules out of compliance, focus on teaching young people how to make really quality choices in their responses. And that's what discipline is. Discipline is not obedience. Discipline is not compliance. Discipline is training people how to meet standards by making their own choices. Right. And the biggest thing we can do is teach young people how to respond. I call it RQ, Doug, response quality. I'm not really, I'm not interested in IQ. Um, I'm kind of interested in EQ, but it, it's, it's, it's way overrated because a lot of people who focus on EQ get caught sitting still and they're, they're way too uh, caught up in their feelings and they're yeah. not focused on action enough. I'm a big proponent of RQ. I want better response quality out of people. And response quality is two things. Response quality is the skill of your response and the speed with which you can recognize and act on it. So I want really good responses. I've got two young kids of my own, right? Three and a week old. I want my kids to have really high response qualities. I don't care about their IQ. IQ is whatever. Like you don't need to be a high IQ to be a good person, build a great life, or frankly, even to start a great business and, and, and be a great individual. And EQ, great. But what you have to be good at in life is you have to have a good response quality. Mm -hmm. Response quality, pursuing outcomes, and response quality, dealing with the events that life gives to you. That's, I, I, you know, I had a lot of stuff yeah. in my life. And so what that is, is so, so here's what I'm going to train my kids in and what I train young people in and frankly adults in is you've got to be able to respond well towards outcomes and two events that came to you. Number right. two is you've got to be able to respond well at the speed that the environment is demanding from you. You, you ever been in a moment, you ever been in a moment, Doug, where, where you got to the right response, but 
you didn't get to the right response quickly enough for the situation you were in and you just didn't get the outcome that you wanted? For sure. I think a great example, especially in, in coaching is you have this busy room and someone comes up to you like, you know, in a panic or not all there and they start to freak out and, you know, you didn't get to them because you were juggling all of these other things. And all of a sudden, by that time you did, you've lost that opportunity and, and it stinks. You're like, I missed that chance. I missed yeah. it. Or, or have you ever, have you ever um, had a conversation with somebody and the first time you went through that conversation, it didn't go well because both of you lost your emotions and, and you knew what you wanted, but in the moment you, you, you couldn't access a good enough response in the moment. And then later you came back and you talked about it and you, you ended up getting to a good response, but like, it just was more drama than was necessary the first time around. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, so the point is you, 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 you had the skill of the response, but you, you weren't able to bring that skill to bear fast enough in the first moment. Sure. And so it, it extended. So with what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to provide tools that not only improve the skill of the response, okay, to any event in, in pursuit of any outcome, but also improve the processing, decision-making, and action speed to engage in that good response quickly. And here's the one little fine point on this, and I'll, and I'll press pause. It's not that I want people to act fast. Yeah. I want people to recognize the good response fast. Sure. I'm, I'm gonna, let me bring it back to your girlfriend for a second. <laughs> shout is out. It, is it sometimes, yeah, what's her name, by the way? Uh, Allie, we'll give her a Allie. shout out. Shout out Allie, okay? Allie, she's listening. All right, Allie, I'm gonna help you out here, okay? Sometimes is a good response for you to speak up and say something. For sure. Other times in that relationship is the good response to be quiet, sit back and don't say anything and just listen. Right. Yes. So I'm not talking about a skillful response of doing a bunch of stuff. I'm talking about the skillful response as in what is the best thing for me to do right now? And can I quickly recognize and engage in whatever the good response is? And sometimes- And productively. Response, and productively, right? The good response sometimes is being quiet. <laughs> I think she can attest to that. That's a good point. Right? Yeah, oh, for sure. And for coaches, right? Sometimes the good response is don't correct it for your athletes let them get their own rep correcting it for themselves. Yep. So, so, you know, this is, you put E plus R equals O together and then, and then we, we take this notion of RQ response quality and we say, okay, great. Now I'm starting to, I'm starting to have some structure where teach my, my student athletes or teach whoever I'm working with E plus R equals O great. Then make them familiar with this notion of response quality and how life is, all about how we respond in pursuit of outcomes and, and to events that show up. And we want to be more outcome uh, uh, anchored and not event anchored because we don't want life dictating to us. We want to be dictating outcomes and pushing outcomes and then just dealing with the events as the playing field. And then focusing on skillful responses as quickly as we can to engage in them and now we're moving through life or through the weight room or the day or the class or the, or the, the game or the, the competition, whatever it is. Now we're starting to have some structure and, and, I, and you can do a lot of really, really good teaching and get a lot of good reps through that structure. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, for sure. And I think, I think the, the part that I'm really drawn to is about the structure. 
Like sometimes you have to set the foundation just for it to be there and then let it play out. I think a lot of times we, we talk and we want to be the structure. We want to be the builder. We want to be the doorman. We want to be every part of that process. But sometimes we just have to let it sit there, especially as, as coaches and uh, to your point and my, my lovely dating advice uh, as boyfriends as well. So, yeah, um, so, so, so watch, watch this piece and I'll just, I'll, you know, you talk about the structure and I'll just, cause I want to make sure I'm, I'm valuable here for people. And I know our time is short. Sure. No worries. I'm so, happy to spend more. So you take E plus R equals O and you take response quality and, and to, to show you how it's structural, but not dogmatic with content. It's this. Are, are you naturally uh, more emotional or less emotional? Me personally, yeah, much you. more, more. More emotional. More. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, so am I. And, and I'm naturally more, I, I naturally have high emotion, high intensity, I'm, I'm expressive. And is having emotion and being more emotional, is that a, a good thing or a bad thing? Should you do that or should you not do that? <laughs> Um, I would say, and I, I don't know where you're leading me down this road it, in some situations, it depends on the situation and, and sit tight for me one sec. I gotta, I cut out. Yeah. I'll just answer again. I would say probably in, in some situations, more emotional is good. Others, it, it starts to become a detractor. Okay. So let's say that your answer was different and you and I were, and both of us, we were both less emotional. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> that's yeah it's the right same damn answer isn't it right exactly yes, sure. so here's the point we could just take that take any skill take any shift and are, are you actually more talkative or less talkative by and we're going with the more hence the host okay. of, a, of a podcast <laughs> hence me being on a podcast and you know being a speaker okay yeah. great so the point is the point is with a structure like e plus r equals o and response quality you can put whatever the qualities you want to guide your life into that structure mm -hmm. and whatever qualities somebody else wants doesn't negate the qualities that you want. Right. And whatever, and then expand it up. You can put whatever standards of behavior and thought and priorities you want for your weight room into that structure and teach your standards through that structure. And it doesn't negate the standards somebody else teaches through the same structure. Yeah, so, that's great. You and I could go into the same weight room, or, or I'm just going to say you and I could go into two different weight rooms and, and keep this E plus R equals O, response quality, speed skill, and I could teach jacked up emotion, uh, super high intensity, rah, rah, like we like create this massive energy. You could go in and teach methodical, procedural, low emotion, very focused, right. more quiet. Take care of business. Take care of business, business-like, blah, 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 right? And you and I could both run effective weight rooms. For sure. I we're love that. Yeah. And we're putting it into it. And people yep. get all caught up on like the dogma of like the internals. And in reality, I don't want people getting caught up on the internals and getting, and getting in this word like dogmatic. I don't want them getting, getting compliant with, oh, you have to be process oriented. You don't. You can be creative. You just have to put in the required work. So if you're procedural or you're more kind of free and creative, you just need enough structure for that energy to create action and responses that create good output. Right. Put whatever you want into there. More emotion, less. More interaction, less. More right. rule following, less. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't get caught on that part. So 
everybody can put in what they want. And I would, I would imagine, I, I'm not imagining this is true. The culture you're going to build is going to be different than the culture the next person builds. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. Build yeah. your culture. I love don't, that. Don't build Nick Saban's culture. Don't build Greg Popovich's culture. Don't build, you know, Urban Meyer's culture or, or, you know, your, don't build somebody else's culture. Build your culture and put it into a structure that helps it come alive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is a, a great place to stop because it's a perfect kind of idea of putting it all together. Regardless of which way we're going, we need the leadership at the front end um, and we need the, the structure to really let it grow. So, Brian, I, I really appreciate you joining us. This was awesome to have you on. A, a very, very fun episode. This was a blast, and I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. So, um, like we said in our commercial break, go check out both platform.com, that's plt4m.com, and also go check out Brian's website, Daily Discipline. Both links will uh, be in the podcast description as well. So, thanks again, Brian. Um, Thank you. And remember, at Platform, it's always in pursuit of better.